Okay, Georgie Dinkov episode. What is this podcast called? Generous Energy number eighty-one. Georgie Dinkov, how are you, sir? <laughs> not bad, not bad. Still, you know, still afloat. <laughs> it, still, still relatively sane. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so we still entertain. We took March off, and what is new in your life in the, uh, during that time? Um, let's see. I, I released Quinine. I mean, that's basically, I don't know if you've seen that. We'll, as t- we'll a, talk about that. That's another sure. part. But uh, I meant, yeah, I meant uh, deep, down in, d- deep down in your life, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> deep down in my life? I don't know. It's, it's empty and cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think much has changed here. Basically, DC is back to, I don't want to say normal. There is is this airy sort of like like reminiscence of what things used to be like, right? Mm-hmm. But then all, everybody here kind of senses that we're going to see something else soon. Um, but the masks are gone. Um, uh, the vaccination mandates are gone. Uh, pretty much you can, you can kind of only, you can sense there was a pandemic only by, by the fact that certain restaurants now are stubbornly basically continuing to demand that people show them vaccination records mm-hmm. in order to go inside. Mm-hmm. And I, I witnessed several people get into physical fights with actual like uh, restaurant uh, owners or operators or whatever they are. Um, and that's that's pretty much the only thing you, by which you can tell there was a pandemic in the city. Um, other than that, uh, I don't know if you've seen the news. I mean, basically, it looks like the Biden is going to get thrown under the bus. Um, there was this big meeting where, where that when Obama went to the White House. It was kind of sad. Basically, uh, Biden was like out of it and was wandering around, kind of like looking around, not even Saw knowing that. where he is. And he went and tapped Obama on the shoulder, and like that guy didn't even didn't even turn around to acknowledge it. He just kept shaking hands with others. Ray called Obama a test tube CIA baby. A test tube CIA baby. Yeah, yeah, like he yeah. was groomed for the presidency by the CIA, basically. I I wouldn't be surprised if he if he is an actual still like active operative or whatever. Um, um, you know what the CIA calls the president? Oh. Uh, a non-employee with a with a with a security clearance on a need-to-know basis only. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. The, there's a reporter named Wayne Madsen, and he did some really good uh, investigative work on Obama's background and his mother, uh, who worked uh, in, in all, for also for the CIA. And then the Sukarno Suharto Indonesian genocide. So I I can't remember who's the bad one. I think it was Sukarno. And anyways. Uh, uh, Obama's dad, his second dad, worked for Sukarno d- with during the genocide, and then his mom, I think her name's Lee Dunham, brought baby like eight year old Obama to Indonesia during the genocide during that time. Yeah. Like that's why his name is uh, Saitoro or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Barack yeah. Saitoro Obama or something like that. But but who would bring their like child to a like war zone? Unless if you're you not, you're guaranteed safety. Yeah, the only yeah, way this yeah. can happen is if you're part of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, he did, does some good. Anyways, okay. So you were saying uh, Biden being confused when Obama came back. Oh, well, he's out of it. I mean, basically, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, and and I don't know if you've seen the speeches about Ukraine several times. He basically said that Putin is getting ready to invade Russia. Um, <laughs> that makes and, uh, sense to me. Several other flops <laughs> like that, and uh, basically they don't even try to correct them anymore. Mm-hmm. And and <laughs> those things, <laughs> even the fact checkers who are usually on Obama's uh, on Biden's side, they're now basically like they're because apparently they're, they're seeing this chatter that Biden is out of it, and they're fact checking that. Did he say <laughs> Putin will invade Russia? And and then the the verdict is partially true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a zero hedge, like the fact checking that he was confused. Uh, I mean, how ridiculous can it possibly get? 
Um, okay. It's, but it's the whole idea. They're kind of telling you, whatever you see, that's not reality. Mm-hmm. We will define it for you. And, yeah. and that's that's part of, that's the, you know, uh, along, that's the game that I've been playing and they're trying to actually get us to fully commit to. I'm sure there's a hundred Orwell quotes about uh, changing reality and shaping men's minds to, well, there, that, there's that CIA quote and it's like, oh, we'll know our job is done. When everything the public believes is false, and that's, false. I mean, that's but I don't think it's a CIA quote. I think it was like, a, wasn't it a Rockefeller quote or? No, I'm I'm positive it was a because I, I investigated a little bit. Oh yeah, CIA director. Yeah, yeah, CIA director. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember which one, but the woman in the room swears that he said it, but she's like the only source for that. Anyways, um, okay, so what else? Let's see. Uh, getting close to uh, finalizing the steroid testing. In nail and hair. We'll talk about idea labs. Wait, anything else in your life? <laughs> uh, I mean, what can what can a guy with two kids and like basically you know two jobs do? I'm, I'm you know if I'm not in bed by in bed by nine, that I'm out basically you know drinking beer until two a.m. in the morning. But that, that second thing doesn't happen very often. I wish it did. Okay, here's a question: What about the grocery stores? Has anything changed in DC? Uh, well, I mean, I've, uh, I think we mentioned this before. Basically, the, the dairy aisle in most stores is getting progressively smaller and is getting replaced by all this plant crap. Cashew milk, almond mm-hmm. milk, oat milk, hemp milk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how they can be called. I mean, is it even legally allowed to be called milk? Like, doesn't, wasn't there some kind of a lawsuit that said if, if you say milk, it has to contain milk, right? Mm-hmm. So it has to be like, a, I don't know, a milk-like product. Mm-hmm. But but they're not they don't even bother doing that. They're just saying hemp milk. Mm-hmm. That's what it says on the carton. So, not- so uh, that's one thing. Another, I mean, I'm looking at the more like so the Whole Foods, which used to have, um, they would have like two separate uh, sections with cooked food every day, mm-hmm. and they were actually changing the types of food every day. Uh, now basically, it's gotten down to a single section of cooked food, and they're cooking the exact same thing, uh, and it's really crap. And, and it's it hasn't changed. In the last six months, um, they have maybe four or five. I wouldn't say four or five. They have like two types of meat, and actually the meat, the the meat, the, the meat uh, dishes are kind of been declining. It's mm-hmm. usually up more often, like maybe five days out of the week, they have a, like an entirely plant-based menu, mm-hmm. and then on the weekend they'll have like some kind of a meat, um, and that's it. But and you know, and those those things keep repeating every week. And when I, when I ask them like, what's going on? This is uh, shortages. Okay, so what I mean. Why you know where are you guys getting your food from? They're like, well, whatever we used to get it from, it's no longer viable. So we're back to basically whatever is accessible here within the United States, and that's how you can say uh, that's how you can see that uh, productive capacity, I guess, has declined because we're they're down to some very limited choices. And uh, when I asked them like, do you think this is going to change anytime soon? They said, nope. Management is kind of saying like. Keep the costs low, basically. You know, raise prices. By the way, <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Um, I would say the prices of milk of and dairy in general have gone up by about twenty to thirty percent, and the packages have shrunk. E- like if it's cheese or like the carton, I don't think they can change the cartons because it says like I don't know two quarts or whatever, right? Um, and I, uh, I guess they can start putting a little bit less in each carton, but I think that's that will be that's probably illegal. But the the actual packages for the cheese, because they actually put the how much how many grams of cheese are inside mm-hmm. net weight, and those have declined by like another twenty to thirty percent. So if you add these two, you you're basically up to about sixty, um, you know, forty to sixty percent inflation um, on 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 dairy products and. Um, most of the other things have gone up as well, like beer prices have gone up, 
Uh, meat prices are through the roof. Actually, meat I think has gone up the most, uh, more than even dairy. Um, and uh, empty shelves. I mean, uh, things that I I used to buy this really cheap brand of Whole Foods water, uh, spring water. Um, and because my wife and I just like the taste, you know, all the other spring water brands that, it, that they had kind of like didn't sit well with us. And all that thing is gone, basically. Like as soon as it arrives in the store, first of all, the, the supplies are much smaller. And then it gets the shelves get cleared up in, um, you know, in a day. And uh, I have to sort of like keep checking every day to see if they have this brand of water and buy a few gallons. Otherwise, it's gone. Um, so, yeah. So Whole Foods is a shadow of its former self. Uh, I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't actually call it a luxury grocery store anymore like a high-end grocery store anymore used to be i would say now whole foods these days is what safeway looked like when i first came into the united states in the late 90s i mean i don't i can't remember when we started talking about supply uh, supply chain disruptions and food shortages but i mean it must have been in 2021 or so but the uh, biden saying there's going to be food shortages to like apparently stick it to russia or something is just crazy. And then, uh, so I went to a town over called, I think, Corretoro, and they have a place called Gourmet Market, which is similar to Whole Foods. And I would say that like the dairy aisle, 75% of it was like oat milk and fake milks. Yeah. And then probably 25 was just uh, the normal cow milk. And then also, I I can't remember what we bought, but I <laughs> it, it eyeballed, when I eyeballed it, it, it was like 50 bucks and it was like 120 and so I was, I was like, I think it was like wow. two bags of stuff, and I was shocked on how much it was. Um, yeah, man, the, I can't. Yeah, so, so the, the, the basically the, the sanctions that the West imposed on Russia are destroying the West, and Biden's way out of it is like, yeah, we're gonna stick it to Russia by starving. <laughs> but that's that's the phony narrative. That's hell of a strategy. It, it, like <laughs> they've been destroying the supply chain since 2020, and now they're blaming it on Russia. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. it's on purpose. But uh, but I think they're also trying to be careful not to destroy too much. Because at some point, like, if this population gets sufficiently hungry, uh, you're looking at Arab Spring in America. Mm-hmm. And, and that thing cannot be controlled. Um, so uh, so it's like, so just just like the they, they, they want a controlled demolition, right? Like, as we spoke with, with Ray. But I think uh, they're getting to the point where the demolition is not very controlled. Uh, and now, the, the, because any war is a wild card, you never know what, what actually is going to transpire. And now with the sanctions backfiring, um, you can't control how how it would affect and which section which section of the economy will collapse first if Russia stops supplying fuel, right? Um, or, or or like these uh, the fossil fuels, coal, gas, oil, what uh, you name it, wheat, right? Uh, and I think now they're trying to foment some kind of trouble in the Middle East. I don't know if you've seen the news about Lebanon; they're mm. about to like have a civil war there mm. out of uh, lack of electricity and food. Um, so. It's it's basically uh, I, I think that that's their that, that this is their plan B. If things get out of control, supply supply shortage wise, they're going to start like a like a civil war, or another movement, like another revolution somewhere in the Middle East, just just to get people's attention away from it. Um, so, um, anyways, I, I I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they 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 have a good control of the situation. They probably know what they want. Uh, but but at the end of the day, even even the powers that be cannot fully control people's reaction and um, and how things will turn out at the end. Uh, okay, so just before we move on, uh, people hate when we talk about this stuff, but don't offer any solutions. So, are you doing anything differently? Just uh, your day to day life? Yeah, I bought some silver. I bought some gold. Um, I'm not going to talk about any weapons. I mean, but you can <laughs> get the idea. <laughs> Um, other than that, I mean, look, 
uh, as we discussed before, you cannot save everything you have. So just have enough to basically be, I don't know, sufficient for a few months. And then if things don't improve after that, I don't think uh, your possessions that you used to have before would have made would have made it any better. In fact, they may make a target of whatever marauding bands start running around and basically uh, killing everything in their path. So you know, uh, have so that that was pretty much race advice as well. Have some money in in cash and in precious metals, uh, and maybe even a little bit of Bitcoin if you believe in it. Um, and then you know, make sure you have uh, like the necessities in terms of like thyroid, progesterone, antibiotics, right? Um, those are sort of like, uh, you know, um, first aid supplies. Um, and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't see what else can you do. I mean, uh, again, it's unpredictable how this will play out. If things continue to go down this way, um, ultimately we're looking at World War Three, and I don't think anybody can protect themselves from, you know, all out nuclear war. W- what are you going to do? They, there's enough nuclear there's there's enough nuclear power in the world to destroy the world about 150 uh, times over George, every square inch of it. Georgie, you're neglecting the fact that I can get under my desk if a nuclear bomb goes off. That, that was the <laughs> advice I was giving people. Yes, I know. Yeah, how comforting. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Something I don't know if this is true. I should probably uh, fact check it with the fact checkers. But the the in like the 1920s or something, apparently people had like boxes of gold and silver, and they were trying to trade it for food. And so I thought that that kind of goes back to Ray's point that I think I think like the first time we ever asked him, like, what what can we do about this? He was like, try to grow your own food because that's going to be that's going to be the most important thing. And I mean, if it again. not at this point, though, because I think if you start growing your own food and then things start collapsing, truly, you immediately become a target. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to come and take it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so have some things like the processed food. Some some canned food or like th- that thing that Walmart used to say. Actually, they still sell it, but it's sold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I sent you the link. Uh, they call it astronaut food. Oh yeah, yeah. and it's basically uh, powdered eggs, powdered <laughs> milk, which Ray mentioned the powdered milk, yeah. uh, rice, sugar, um, flour, and a few other things like that that don't really spoil, but they're also specially packaged. Um, and it, it, you can get. Uh, a, they used to offer only like a twelve month supply. But because it cost like uh, used to cost like five grand, I guess they thought it was too expensive. So now they've broken it down to a six month and three month supply. So if you can get yourself like a three to six month supply of that food and keep it somewhere safe, where you think you can get you can get to it if needed, when needed, right? Uh, and then it gets a little bit of like those um, you know uh, hard currencies, <laughs> which have always had some value. Um, some people say, well, why bother with with both gold gold and silver? Well, because gold, because of the higher price, um, you, you know, like if you if you buy these bars that are like three ounces each or four ounces each, you're gonna have a trouble, you know, using that to shop for things because for most of these things you need only a small chunk of it, right? So silver is a lower price, so you, you know you can get these like silver dollars, and um, you can I think they're worth like I don't know 30, $20, 30 dollars right now yeah, or something. Yeah, about thirty bucks. Yeah, so you can use that to like basically as, as you know as your petty change uh, to buy things on a daily basis, uh, and that's about it. In terms of protection, until we have a, a clarity on whether the elite will collapse or not, then I don't think you can make any long-term plans. I mean, you can at best make a plan three or six months out in the future. Anything more than that, you're probably daydreaming. Great stuff. Okay, let's talk about a few articles, then we'll go into Idea Labs and jump into that. Okay, what? Which ones were the most? What did you get the most feedback on? Like the popularity? Oh, let's see. Uh, actually, it's a really small. I have to load it up on my screen too. Oh, is it too small? Um, yeah, because the screen is split into two. I'm I'm occupying in the entirety uh, of the one half, 
And then the on the other one, actually, I'm seeing myself and you and <laughs> like, you're, okay, there you go. <laughs> Uh, uh, let's start from the bottom. I think okay. Okay. So um, vaccine inhibits oxidative phosphorylation. Oh yeah. That to me was like pretty shocking. And then when I posted on Twitter, Twitter immediately censored, <laughs> <laughs> but then uncensored it. I think a name D or somebody commented and then may have, I, I, I would like to think that's what got it uncensored. Um, but the, basically it changes, uh, it puts the cell in the metabolic state that was basically as Warburg-like as as neuroglioblastoma, which is one of the one of the deadliest cancers you can get, um, and that I think happened in like in a matter of only forty eight hours. So um, we're getting more and more evidence. Unfortunately, again in vitro, right? It would be nice to have some in vivo studies, but I think um, most scientists are probably afraid at this point. It's too political, too sensitive to do an in vivo study, um, and probably waiting to see how things will unfold. Um, but yeah, um, the, the few doctors that I talked to about this, they said, ah, another in vitro study. We don't want to see any more of these. If you want to, if you want to convince us, and I know I won't, <laughs> uh, show us an in vivo study or, you know, ideally humans. Well, um, I don't have one yet, but uh, the evidence keeps accumulating. Maybe I should email uh, Dr. Bitterman. Uh, <laughs> what an appropriate name for a person like that. Uh, um, oh, the vegan, he said, the vegan you, guy. Say it again. Is that the uh, Avi, the the vegan dude? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't isn't his last name Bitterman? I I really don't know. I'd have to double check. <laughs> uh, very apt. It is. I'm pretty sure it is Bitterman. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, he said that it was only one in vitro study. He said he would bet his life that it, that it, it will never be a second, even a second, another in vitro study. Mm -hmm. And now there's like at least six, I think. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, oh, did you see that they stopped reporting on the Splitting the data into vaccinated versus unvaccinated? No, tell uh, tell me about it. CDC did. Uh, CDC decided that they'll no longer, when they publish the data, they'll no longer provide the breakdown of like how many new cases are vaccinated mm -hmm. versus unvaccinated. They said it will confuse the public as to the efficacy of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And the NHS, <laughs> oh, did, of course, that. it will, right? <laughs> Um, well, it will convince only the people who who are blindly believing in those vaccines to start with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the NHS, the National Health System in the UK, which is the equivalent, I guess, of CDC, did the exact same thing. Uh, Germany started doing the same thing. I think Netherlands is about to start doing the same thing. So little by little, basically, the world the world's health agencies. If anybody had any doubts that this is all staged, now they're saying, "Oh, we're only going to publish new COVID cases, but we're not going to tell you." Which ones were vaccinated and which ones were not? <laughs> How am I supposed to assert the vaccine efficacy then, right? <laughs> well, we're going to do an internal analysis, Georgie, and then and then we will uh, uh, announce that to your lay ass, <laughs> lay, layman ass, or whatever. I have <laughs> a look. Oh, good. Yeah, that's really. I mean, uh, that that's 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 where we stand right now. Um, and um, I think an another really bad thing that started to come out recently is that uh, I think now they're starting to confirm. The effects on fertility as well. Okay, we're back. My doorbell rang. Georgie, continue what you were saying. I was saying that in addition to the to the effects of uh, inhibiting oxy oxidative phosphorylation to the point of uh, making the person's cells behave as if they were neuroglioblastoma cells, uh, now we're starting to see evidence of the vaccine's effects on fertility as well. And I think uh, Ray spoke about the um, the vaccine, the spike protein containing the sequence for syncytin, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which which was a potentially co could cause autoimmune reaction in women to the fetus. 
but now we're starting to see something that that was uh, also like uh, forecasted that it may happen because the spike protein, one of the organs where it accumulates the most is the male gonads. Mm -hmm. And I was reading this blog post by a doctor who was basically trying to, uh, you know, him and his wife were trying to conceive a child. And he went and did all the tests and he looked perfectly healthy, at least reproductively. And then got double jabbed and basically his testosterone levels dropped below the low end of normal, which we know is already, way, even the medium range is way too low. Uh, and he became fully infertile. And he, he basically says, I, I, you know, even though I am a firm believer in vaccines, um, you know, I, w I would like to believe that they're helpful. There is nothing else that I have done that could cause this dramatic decline and basically make him fully infertile. So they went from trying naturally to potentially considering in vitro. And even that was basically, uh, you know, he thought it would, it would be a long shot. So you're, you're saying you don't want accumulation of spike proteins in your gonads? Yeah. How weird, huh? I mean, like this nice thing, this fuzzy feeling of spikes in your balls. Uh, <laughs> who wouldn't want that? The Yeah, it's really crazy. There's a, a telegram channel that I follow. I think it's called COVID-19 vaccine side effects. And, and, and the whoever runs it is pretty meticulous on the stories they'll kind of uh, post. But it, it, if I didn't follow that channel, I'd be kind of oblivious to the side effects because you don't see them anywhere unless you're talking to somebody that feels like they were harmed. But it, it's, it's like staggering the amount of horrific side effects it has. But again, it's not front and center unless you're specifically looking for it. And um, yeah, I mean, you can I actually start seeing it on PubMed. They're starting to publish case studies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and those are not being retracted. So, mm -hmm. but here, here's the thing: what percentage of the population does read PubMed on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and what percentage of that percentage will actually specifically start looking for case studies on vaccine side effects? Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Not many. Um, and uh, now with like the, the mainstream media not publishing the, a breakdown by vaccination status. Unless you're really like a person who is looking for trouble, so to speak, who already suspects uh, nefarious things. Like yourself. Uh, in the vaccine. Yeah, exactly. Like myself. <laughs> Troublemaker. Uh, then, then basically you wouldn't know about these things, but they are published. You know, if, you go to, if you go to PubMed and type COVID-19 vaccine case study, mm -hmm. you'll see that there are hundreds of them already. Mm -hmm. And some of them are, are, are about lethal side effects, right? Uh, usually anaphylactic reaction, but like some of them are about blood clots. They're causing, you know, lethal stroke or heart attack. Um, and now I'm also starting to see, but they're saying it's a suspected cause because uh, you can't really prove, um, you know, cause and effect unless, because the med medicine says, hey, the only way to prove cause and effect is if you spend $2 billion and do a double-blind randomized <laughs> placebo-controlled trial, which, by the way, we weren't required to do. Yeah. <laughs> so you, Georgie, and everybody else who wants to prove that vaccines are bad, you have to spend that money and you have to prove it. And guess what? If you start getting anywhere close to proving that the vaccines are bad, um, people in your uh, control group will start mysteriously dying, committing suicide and, and whatnot. So uh, impossible, basically. So all you can do is see the case studies. And after a while, if, if there's so many of them that say that, these, that the only thing that a patient changed and made, him, made a male or a female infertile is this vaccine, nothing else drastically changed their lifestyle, well, um, as they say in the CA, when there is any doubt, there is no doubt. This is legitimate speculation, but people are saying, that, like, uh, are you following how they want to move, like, uh, Ukrainian refugees into the U.S. Or, and other places like they, Ireland? They've already moved them. Aren't there, isn't, didn't the U.S. accept, like, 50,000 of them over is, the last, since the war started? Is that true? I think Ireland was supposed oh, yeah. to accept, like, 200,000 or so, something, like, insane. 
But they want to, but I think they've already accepted like fifty thousand. Mm -hmm. But people were saying uh, that would offset uh, deaths and stuff by the vaccine. It would be very. That's true. It would be very confusing true. to see what was going on with the the population when it's being replaced by uh, alleged Ukrainian refugees. I just don't don't trust anything that that the CDC or even the Census Bureau publishes <laughs> at this point. Um, if you go, if you look deep enough, you'll see that almost everything that they report is based on a model. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at some point, they either consider the the the, the facts of reality too un unpopular and unpleasant to <laughs> to publish. Or they're too expensive to basically like count and collect and analyze properly. So they're doing a model because the model, you can basically throw away 90% of the data and work with those 10% that you like and, you know, not spend a ton of money and effort to collect those 10%. And that, that's what the government likes. Phony models are my favorite. So I really enjoy that CDC content. So. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's a tautology because all models are phony. But as Eisenhower used to say, all models are wrong, but some models are useful. So <laughs> phony model is, a, is, a, is already a tautology. So the question is, is it useful or not? The only question. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Let's talk about one more article. Then we'll dive into ID Labs. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, which another one was popular? Aging and disease are the same process driven by low metabolism? Uh, we can do that, but uh, I mean, cocaine, it's, estrogen. it's probably not, not surprising to people at this point, but the reason I like this is that there's a new center being set up at UCLA. Unfortunately, they're still talking about genes. Uh, but uh, the good news is that this lady that is setting up this uh, center or institute, I forgot what exactly the name was at UCLA, uh, she basically saying, look, there is an exorbitant amount of evidence, and we've known this for a while, apparently. She's like, well, look, every doctor knows that as you age, your your chance of getting any disease grows. And then beyond a certain age, it starts to grow exponentially. And that's why eventually, as they say, <laughs> uh, the death rate stubbornly holds at 100% for all people. <laughs> <laughs> so so basically, she's saying, well, well, why is that, right? And then she's saying it's the mitochondria. It's because... All of these diseases that we're seeing, they're essentially micro images of aging in a specific tissue organ. And she's saying the way to reverse it, to, the way to treat these uh, these basic diseases is why don't we attack the actual ultimate disease and probably the cause of them all, which is aging, which is just another way of saying, and she actually says that, low metabolism, right? But instead of saying, okay, let's see what's blocking metabolism, you know, how we can restore it, talk about thyroid, things like that. None of that is discussed. It's basically, oh, let's see if we can edit this gene with CRISPR or we can silence this gene or, you know, unsilence that gene and maybe this will somehow magically solve the problem. Now, I don't know if she's doing that because she has to please, um, like, the you know, the federal funders because all of this is with government money, obviously, right? Um, you know, so it's, I take it as half and half, half good news and half bad news. Um, the good news is that now that they're openly admitting that aging and disease are both the same process both caused by declining mitochondrial function. The bad news is that they're not looking at the causes, <laughs> the ultimate cause, uh, or at least they're looking in the wrong in the wrong place. They 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 don't believe it's environmental. They believe it's coming into uh, from your genes, um, and maybe that's where the money is right now. I mean, in fact, I think that's where the money is right now because there's tons of money being thrown by the government if it's worth anything. Because <laughs> the way things are going with this hyperinflation, maybe her I don't know 50 million grand. It's probably going to be worth like I don't know nothing in the next year or so. But anyways, the, there's a lot of money in CRISPR right now. So if you if you are into genetics and you say CRISPR and whatever disease it is that you're working on, if you can somehow intertwine it with gene editing or at least gene manipulation or at least like the silencing and unsilencing, 
chances are, I mean, you have much better chance of getting money. If you start talking about using, I don't know, aspirin to reverse aging, you immediately become a pariah. <laughs> you have to fund yourself. Yeah, they're not going to dive into the toxic environment causing the mitochondrial dysfunction. That would be uh, not nope. useful. In fact, I mean, over the years that I've seen, I mean, studies like this keep propping up every once in a while. Uh, I have no, I don't remember seeing a single one that actually uh, was brave enough to say, hold on a second, uh, autism rates rising, cancer rates rising, uh, Alzheimer's disease rising. All of these rates of all of these chronic diseases are rising, especially in the young, right? I mean, it immediately means there's it cannot be genetics. What is this mysterious gene that swept through the population <laughs> in just 20 years? How is this possible, right? None of that this is discussed, right? It says now they're they acknowledging the problem finally because things become too obvious to ignore. Uh, but they're still trying to tie it to genes because if you actually talk about the environment, you're immediately admitting that, you know, if it's the environment, that somebody changed it for the worse. Who did? And then, you know, sooner or later you end up with... Uh, the, the two R's, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, or whoever else is pulling the strings. Remember, uh, I can't remember which Ray episode it was, but I was like, Ray, we're all just like surviving right now, right? Nobody's thriving. And he's like, yeah. And, and that, I feel like that's... um Coping. Yeah. Constantly kind of miss, uh, not considered aspect about what Ray is talking about. Like our environment sucks so bad that we're all, our, our human potential has been kind of robbed from us from a young age or in utero. In the, uh, pure, pure survival, actually. Yeah. I mean, how? When was the last time you actually woke up and, and you felt so thrilled about the potential of your day? Right. George, I mean, that, maybe today, uh, generative uh, energy eighty-one. There. <laughs> Say it again. Generative energy eighty-one with you. That was today. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Glad, glad to hear that I'm the only thing keeping the same. But like in general, like okay, so there may be a few events in the day that you, you expect, you know, to like, or at least hope you're gonna make you feel better, right? Or feel like you're thriving. But in general, is it like more of a dreadful feeling or more like, damn, you know, I, I need to be careful. I need to you know, watch my back. I need to do all these things to prepare for survival, right? Uh, is it, that's is all probably occupying, uh, you know, the you know the most of your subconscious thoughts. Um, it's not like, oh, damn, everything is great in the world. I'll wake up today. I'll do nothing all day. I'll go jump in the ocean. Actually, you're not close to the ocean. Uh, or are you? you no, know, not, right? not even close. No. Okay, right. So it's more like, okay, what can I do to prepare for the collapse when it comes? Well, that's why I practice getting under my desk all the time, and I, I practice drills. I, I, I think you're totally Next right. Next time, record it from under your yeah. desk. I, appreciate we'll do, I will do that. Um, I think you're totally right, because a large part of my brain is think, like when I look at something that I need – I go, do I have two of that? Like, what happens if that thing breaks? <laughs> like, will you be, will you have a backup of that? If that thing that you use every day breaks, like that occupies so much of my consciousness and it's such a waste, you know, like the idea that I won't be able to get something in the future. Therefore I should <laughs> spend a lot of time think, like, and, I, and my money is kind of tight. And so I'm like thinking about like strategies for it's, I mean, it's the most waste. It's, it's ridiculous. This is the life for like, I think the vast majority of mankind <laughs> at this point. Uh, I mean, it's always been the, the, the kind of like really dreadful existence for the really poor countries. Right. But now it's kind of transferred to the West as well. And um, I mean, again, so when, the thought is things are about to get bad, right? At least as a general mood, uh, what can I do with the little resources that I have and, and expend them in the most efficient and effective way possible. It's not, oh, where do I go party today, right? Uh, I mean, I don't even know, actually, I don't even know young people anymore that actually in that kind of a mood. Maybe people in college, but those that I know that are in college right now, 
it says it's it's nothing like my generation or even my brother's generation. Um, uh, I mean, basically, the twenty-year-old uh, people that are twenty-something that are in college right now, or eighteen-year-old or something, because they started eighteen. I mean, I would say half of them are probably on some kind of a psychotropic drug oh, yeah. prescription, and the other half are again on a psychotropic drug, non-prescription, <laughs> and a good portion of them are taking both. Mm-hmm. And if they stop. Uh, I don't know if you've seen some of the reports on the forum from students saying, like, uh, if, if I run out of my antidepressant and the doctor doesn't refill my prescription in the next 24 hours, I will probably kill myself. Do, like, uh, they really, they feel, that they, they, and, and this, they have this dreadful feeling that their life is entirely out of their control and there's nothing they can do to bring it back under their control. It's like, no matter which aspect of it you touch, it's already kind of like taken over by this entity could be an industry it could be like another person could be the government right uh and it's like it's it doesn't belong to you anymore i i agree with you from experience with somebody that is taking those types of drugs and it's um i actually read that thread because i was interested and uh it, it seems I, I think ray said like when somebody asked ray about getting off an ssri he was like it's really hard <laughs> and i i don't recall ray saying like mentioning that something was really hard but before like as a preface for what his answer was so i thought that was um pretty disturbing anyways uh okay let's do one last one and then we'll go into id labs um pick one i mean i any of these that, that caught your eye um oh the cyperheptidine yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was pretty shocking one. The 12 milligram? Yeah. yeah. Got it. So a person with liver cancer, I would call it stage four, um, fully metastasized, I think bones and um, a, few other, a few other organs, I think brain as well. Uh, at this point, this person's terminal. I mean, once you get to that point where, once you have bone metastasis, chances are that the doctor will probably start telling you, get your affairs in order and let's get you off of whatever drug you, whatever chemotherapy or radiation you're doing. And let's give you some, let's give you some uh, happy pills, which is a euphemism for morphine and kind of like trying to ease your transition is what they call it. Um, And basically uh, that person had stopped all of these treatments uh, because I think the doctors, if I remember correctly, they were saying that there was no point. And then that person was prescribed four milligrams of cyproheptadine taken three times daily. Within two weeks, two weeks of doing nothing but that, the cancer was gone. And then the, uh, they did some uh, imaging and they basically saw that the lesions had in almost all of the organs, in other words, the metastasis, had healed except like I think there were like one or two that were still there. And they said it may be a good idea to, to continue doing that. And he stayed, uh, I think, he or she forgot the, the the patient stayed on the cyperheptadine for a total of 14 months at which point basically everything was gone both the primary tumor and the metastasis and none of the biomarkers for liver function came back abnormal uh, throughout the course on cyperheptadine i know some people have concerns about cyperheptadine there's some published case studies that um, show elevated liver enzymes it is certainly possible but you know on this dosage for, 12, for 14 months, the liver actually recovered. And by the way, it was liver cancer. So if cyberheptidine is, li- is bad for the liver, it should have actually been really bad for the specific person, but it wasn't. Uh, and I, if the way I read it, to me, after the first two weeks, that person should have been more or less considered cured because the massive primary tumor was gone and most of the, the well-formed remote metastatic nodules were also gone. It was only small lesions that were visible only on, on imaging, um, basically like a very high contrast imaging studies. Uh, only, only That was the only way to tell that the person actually had cancer. 
Um, and even those were gone after a total of, I think, 14 months of therapy. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, but other than, you know, uh, if that doesn't prove the, that serotonin and histamine are, are, are carcinogenic or the very least promote uh, drastically the development of cancer, then probably nothing will. I mean, it's a one case study, but cyproheptadine has other um, other studies behind, uh, in terms of evidence, even though not necessarily for malignant tumors. It's uh, it's known to fully cure Cushing disease, which not Cushing syndrome, Cushing disease, which is caused by a by tumor in the pituitary gland. And so often, not I would say about 20 30 percent of the times, those tumors are not benign. So so it's used to actually fully cure those cases. Um, and I think it's has also been successfully used for something called Nelson syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which is what happens if you get your adrenal glands removed. Mm-hmm. The pituitary goes into into overdrive because it says, oh, there's no cortisol. And the body says, oh, let's get the pituitary to release a lot of ACTH, right? And it does. And ACTH, elevated ACTH levels in the blood cause these like large brown spots in your skin mm-hmm. and also cause massive tumors to develop in the adrenal glands and the kidneys. And I think cyproheptadine has a few studies showing that it can actually cure that as well. So it's not an isolated uh, case of, oh, it maybe it's just this person reacted uniquely to cyproheptadine. Cyproheptadine has a lot of evidence behind it for doing these kind of things. Um, they're just older studies and, you know, um, they wouldn't be considered sufficient evidence to recommend it as an anti-cancer treatment. But I think uh, Ray has recommended it uh, for years to people with cancer, um, mostly for weight management issues, like to prevent or treat cachexia. Mm-hmm. But now we have evidence, human evidence, that it's uh, can actually cure terminal cases of cancer, at, at the very least, liver cancer. I was gonna, you kind of touched on it, but I was going to ask, what is what's so toxic about serotonin or histamine to the liver? Well, the I mean, the the serotonin causes directly fibrosis of any organ it touches through the 5-HT2B receptor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, histamine is actually one of the two legs on which estrogen stands. Histamine and the cholinergic system, uh, these two are basically through which astro- estrogen uh, manifests most of its carcinogenic effects. If you block either histamine, histamine or give an anticholinergic drug, uh, which, by the way, cyproheptadine is both. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many people know, but cyproheptadine is a pretty powerful anticholinergic as well. So if you're giving cyproheptadine, you're essentially fully blocking the effects of estrogen, effectively giving the person anti-estrogen. And we know that estrogen is bad for the liver. Um, in any animal model you, you you pick up, it basically causes enlargement of the liver when used sporadically. And if it's used chronically, even at a lower dose, it causes liver cancer. Um, so cyproheptadine is a essentially a full blo- a full uh, spectrum functional uh, serotonin antagonist or blocker, even though it doesn't. Uh, actually bind, I think, to the directly to the estrogen receptors. But as Ray said, the entire cell is the receptor, and it just so happens that cyproheptadine blocks entirely estrogen's effects. And then uh, serotonin, uh, basically, oh boy, what doesn't it do? <laughs> Fibrosis, it's also the primary driver of the fight-or-flight response because it uh, gets the pituitary to release ACTH, which, of course, drives up your cortisol. Uh, I think... Uh, over the last couple of months, I've posted quite a few studies showing that cortisol is actually what fattens up the liver. Uh, uh, it inhibits oxidative phosphorylation. It activates aromatase, so you're producing even more estrogen, right? Um, so histamine, serotonin, and estrogen, um, if you can block these three, and that's what cyproheptadine is doing, you're probably blocking the majority of the of the, of the bad mediators, uh, the cardinal bad mediators in the body. If you can also block cortisol and aldosterone, um, 
you're probably 90% there. And if you can block the PUFA downstream effects through cyclooxygenase and lipoxygenase, then you've probably covered pretty much all bases. I mean, there's still, you know, little um, crevices here and there that can go wrong. I mean, the, the, you're not blocking 100% of the bad things that can happen to your body. But, but you know, blocking 99%, it's usually sufficient to allow the organi organism to restore its energetic um, homeostasis. And after that, the organism will take care of the rest. You don't have to, you don't have to address every downstream pathway that exists. And we don't know how many exist, right? I mean, there's probably thousands of them that we, we still don't know about, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an insanity, which is what medicine is currently doing, to go and chase every single individual downstream pathway. Look at the high level, and the high level is thyroid, right? And then underneath, literally the very next step would be estrogen, histamine, serotonin, prolactin, uh, the prostaglandins, nitric oxide, things like that. And cyproheptadine happens to be able to address most of these. Yeah, that's that's a, something that's difficult about attacking the stress system is the, the, what you're saying is there's so many different layers from the prostaglandins yeah. to nitric oxide to parathyroid hormone to prolactin. And and my understanding is that like uh, those are like different they've developed at different times or like uh, what's it what's that called um, the history of some uh, chemical or I can't remember is uh, whatever they have a different evolutionary history yeah. but the, but they, they're all part of the stress system right mm -hmm. uh, and unsurprisingly usually um, I think one of the, my first posts on the forum was one of the ways you know Ray is on the right track is that uh, when he talks about something that promotes a disease right. Actually, several things that promote the disease, and then you get a substance that opposes one of those, right? And then, if you look at those, the way you know these things are bad is that they usually, all, not usually, always go hand in hand. It's very hard to find a person with high estrogen that doesn't also have high cortisol, high serotonin, high parathyroid, high prolactin, right? They all go hand in hand. They all activate each other's pathways. And conversely, very hard, you know, to get a person something that's really beneficial. Let's say like a serotonin antagonist. And that doesn't actually end up normalizing a large part of the uh, dysregulations that are present in the other systems as well. Even even substances that are supposed to be exclusively serotonin antagonists. There are uh, many studies on the on PubMed with animals showing that the 5-HT3 antagonist on Dancitrone, even though it's not only exclusively a serotonin antagonist, but it's actually an antagonist on only one of the receptors. Mm -hmm. uh, that thing has basically multiple multitudes of studies uh, for like all kinds of things that are obviously systemic nature. Uh, it can treat low thyroid functioning animals. It can treat hyperestrogenemia in animals. It can treat estrogen receptor positive breast cancer in animals. It can treat bone disease uh, triggered by excessive bone resorption due to hyperlactin and hyperthyroid. And even though it doesn't, uh, you know, medicine will say, well, how, is it, how does it do this if it doesn't act on those receptors directly? Well, it's, it's, I guess it's a systemic thing. And if you hit one of those systemic mediators and you knock it out of balance or actually back into balance, uh, the system with sufficient energy manages to rebalance itself. You don't have to address each one of them individually. I know pharma, uh, pharma companies would love to because it means a drug for each pathway or maybe multiple drugs, but that's not how the body works. I think I've said this before, but I remember a few years ago, uh, I was, I think I was looking in, into prolactin or something and I was like, oh, well, prolactin goes up when the intracellular sodium gets, it gets higher or the, uh, extracellular uh, sodium goes into the cell and that like triggers the pituitary release of prolactin. And I was like, Oh, well, isn't uh, aldosterone called like the salt retaining hormone. So prolactin, if, if that's higher, aldosterone should follow or whatever. And then that like sent me down a rabbit hole, but that was like completely confirmed by 
the model. You know what I mean? Like Ray's model uh, al allowed me to connect a dot that I had never explored before. And, and so it's like, this thing is coherent and it doesn't depend on Ray to under understand it. You know what I mean? And it, exactly. It, so, so if aldosterone is, is elevated, you would expect prolactin to rise as well. And all you have to do is, that's actually how I used to verify it back in the day. I would say prolactin aldosterone, in, like in Google or even in PubMed, and immediately studies will come up, will say like, uh, in these animals that were given spironolactone, yeah. <laughs> which is the aldosterone antagonist, uh, interestingly or unexpectedly or shockingly, their prolactin declined yeah, yeah, dramatically, yeah. <laughs> right? And they'll say like, we don't know through what mechanism. Yeah, yeah. But that's just, that's a very uh, uh, a validating thing to be on the right track, to have a thought that you've maybe never explored before. And, and you, it turns out there's tons of papers on it. So yeah. I uh, love that. Okay. So let us know about idlabsdc.com. What is new uh, with your company? Uh, in terms of uh, products, we just released uh, Quinine, which Ray has mentioned a few times. I think you and I first talked about it. Mm -hmm. Then we told Ray, he said, I'm going to drink tonic water tonight. <laughs> and I think he, he, then after that, it made him look into it. And then he mentioned it um, uh, during a couple of videos as a very broad spectrum um, anti-inflammatory substance. Um, and basically, he also mentioned it as an ACE2 um it's, he mentioned it as an ACE inhibitor, as a promoter of actually of ACE2, which is a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you ever mentioned directly in, in, the, in the context of COVID-19, but a few papers are already out there because quinine was the molecule that inspired the synthesis of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine. If you look at them, they're basically the quinine backbone with basically some additional chlorine molecules and some extra hydroxyl groups. But at the end of the day, it's a synthetic bastardized version of quinine. And all of these drugs have now multiple studies behind them demonstrating that have they're effective against uh, COVID-19, both due to the anti-inflammatory effect and also due to them basically um, inhibiting the enzyme that converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. Um, and then I also found some additional studies showing that quinine uh, inhibits the enzyme tryptophan hydroxylase. Um, Ray mentioned a few times the drug fenclonine. Uh, which uh, basically was used back in the, I think, 60s or 70s to dramatically to lower brain serotonin, which resulted in a dramatic increase of testosterone in male rats. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, to, uh, sorry, quinine is another substance that can do something similar. And on top of that, it's actually an antagonist of several of the serotonin receptors, the two and three. Um, and uh, basically, uh, that's another thing that attracted me to it. And finally, it's uh, several studies that I found recently uh, demonstrated that basically quinine can act similarly to the drug meldonium. Uh, so it seems to inhibit the transport of carnitine into the cell um, and basically may be able to inhibit or at least lower the excessive fatty acid oxidation, uh, which has a multitude of benefits. And if you go on PubMed and search for quinine and a variety of other conditions that, well, meldonium has just the same verification process that we discussed a few minutes ago, uh, search for quinine and some disease that you think meldonium is able to treat, and studies start popping up immediately. And then the toenail steroid testing, what's the status on that? Uh, the steroid testing, basically, currently, we can probably do testing for cortisol and DHEA. Um, and we're probably going to start with here. It turns out the processing of the samples is key. Uh, well, <laughs> duh, right? Uh, but uh, in order to extract the steroids from the samples, you need to pulverize them into an extremely fine powder. 
Um, and it turns out that that can be done more easily with hair because nail is tough, uh, is a lot more collagen in it. Um, and basically it will be more difficult to grind into an extremely fine powder. Uh, with nails seems to be more uh, to be easier. So we'll probably start by by offering the steroid analysis in nails. Um, we may start with cortisol and DHEA, which see, which several studies have shown that the ratio of cortisol to DHEA in both blood um, and any of the organs, including nail and hair, these things have been tested. That ratio, cortisol to DHEA, is the is uh, the best this uh, predictor known so far of all cause mortality. Uh, you want that ratio to be lower than ten. Uh, multiple studies have shown that during stress, the cortisol to DHEA ratio rises up to 20. After a major surgery, it can go up to 30. And actually, if it doesn't decline back to at least 10, within 48 hours after the surgery, that person usually dies. So it seems to be a very broad kind of like a biomarker of how well you're you're doing systemically. Um, the production of DHEA uh, and even the existence of the inner uh, layer of the adrenal gland depends on thyroid and that that layer disappears almost completely with advancing age but as ray said if you're taking thyroid or like a substance that blocks the effects of cortisol or estrogen that layer can regenerate fully there's nothing stopping it from regenerating it's not permanently gone um and basically so 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 in other words your dhea levels which progressively decline with age are actually at almost a direct indication of your thyroid function even though doctors think they're an indication of the adrenal function, which they are, but you can have very high cortisol levels, which is still an indication of adrenal function, and very low DHEA levels, right, which actually is a very good indication of your overall thyroid slash metabolic state. So we'll probably start with here, start with those two steroids. I'm hoping that we may be able to actually do the full panel, cortisol, DHEA, aldosterone, estradiol, testosterone, progesterone, and DHT. Ideally, We'll, we're looking at that. Actually, not ideally. That's, that will be the basic panel that that we, we we're close to getting done. Cortisol DHEA, I would I would say ninety percent done. The 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 other panel about seventy five percent done. Ideally, and we've bought the the analytical standards. We have a panel of actually of twenty different steroids, including things like the mid the the intermediates like. 17 alpha hydroxyprednisolone, 17 alpha hydroxyprogesterone, the various 21 deoxycorticosterone and cortisol, uh, the precursors to aldosterone, right, uh, and also the thyroid hormones. So that's next. First, we're doing the uh, I don't know what they call, them, but let's call them the steroids. Uh, they're not entirely sex steroids, but all of these steroids. And then once that is validated, proven to work well, then we're gonna add the T3, T4, and reverse T3. Um, and I think th that should pretty much cover it. Um, we may try to do T1 and T2 as well, but I don't think they're as important as, as those three, the T3, T4, and reverse T3. Um, so e excited about it. It's, there's a lot of work because we found out that a lot of the papers that are published on the topic, first, there aren't that many. Mm -hmm. And second, the, the papers that are published on the topic, uh, they skip. They don't describe very well their, the materials and methods section, what exactly was done. Uh, and some of them are basically claiming results that we think, which we found out experimentally, are impossible. So <laughs> we know firsthand a, a lot of studies lie, <laughs> lie directly, uh, but we're close. I mean, we, we do have some results already uh, by testing our own nails and hair, and they seem to correlate well with uh, blood results, at least for cortisol and DHEA. So we know it's doable. It's just a matter of another week or two before we have something that can um, be open to the public to order. 
Okay, so nothing to order right now. It's just still nothing uh, to order right now. Still in the minerals. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of the minerals, we're probably gonna have a gap of about three weeks, starting April twelfth, and basically up until the end of April, starting April twelfth, uh, where we won't be able to do the mineral testing because the the section of the university where this we're using basically the machine on loan from one of the universities in Bulgaria, uh, they're gonna have like basically a renovation there. And since the machine cannot be moved, nobody can go in there for about three weeks. So that will be on pause for about three weeks. But it was it was a prelude to the steroid testing, anyways. I don't think people will miss it that much, or you know, and it will should be back in uh, you know after that, after three weeks. So hopefully by then it will be replaced by the steroid testing, and then uh, that will be in the limelight, and the other thing will take the back seat. Awesome. Okay, I do coaching on patreon.com slash Danny Roddy. And then here, let me just talk about the schedule real fast. Okay, so today, Georgie is on April 15th. I'll be doing a Q&A. Then the 28th, another epi- episode of Bioenergetic Helpline uh, with my buddies, uh, Jay, Mike, and Harrison. And then April 29th, Ray will be back on with Georgie and we'll do Generative Energy uh, <laughs> Generative Energy uh, 83. Um what? You you completely checked out during this time when I was reading the schedule, Georgie. Because uh, I'm I'm checking my phone. I keep getting these like uh, calls and emails, even though I'm told people like don't bother me until until ten thirty. Uh, okay, and what I feel like I have something else. Oh, this these episodes are not live right now because uh, dealing with my internet is just too much to handle. So I know the whole podcast has been kind of like uh, plagued by my bad internet. So we're just going to nip it in the butt and not do these live right now because it's just a bad experience for people watching. So, uh, And when the collapse comes, we're going to be uh, drawing ourselves on paper <laughs> and then sending this to people to flip through the pages and reenact the actual episode. Yeah, once the cyber attack hits and everything powers down, we'll have to, I'll have to drive to Ray's house and do a, a podcast for just the people watching. <laughs> You know, I'll, next time, if we actually, if, if we have the, the episode with Ray, if things don't collapse by then, I'm going to ask him about ama, ama, amateur radio, ham radio. Oh, yeah. uh, that that thing seems like, you know, the probably the one thing that, that would be the, you know, the world will depend uh, on, for, on for communication because uh, it's, you know, these people out in the woods, with, they, they, they make their own antennas, they communicate worldwide, they have like all of these networks and whatnot. Um, and if basically the the, the state sponsored the centralized means of communication collapses, I don't know what else can be used for like long distance communication. Preppers talk about those radios all the time, so that that's like not a that's like a thing in that community. Um, okay, let's talk about two, three more of these, and then uh, get out of here because I know it's late and we've been going for about an hour. Okay, wh- why don't we talk about PUFA because that is extremely popular right now. Which one? Uh, oh, the cause. cause obesity, yeah, yeah. diabetes, and all these things. Uh-huh. So this is actually a group uh, that's been doing a lot of anti-PUFA studies. Um, I think they're out of the University of Washington, somewhere on the West Coast, as far as I can remember. Um, and they, they're kind of like, I can't decide if they're controlled opposition or they really mean well. <laughs> because they, they publish these damning studies about PUFA, and then they say, oh, it's not really the polyunsaturated fats. It's caused by an unknown factor. In, the, in these seed oils. Well, what is that factor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been looking for it for, I don't know, three, four, five years, and they nothing is published on it. But the actual studies, at least the conclusions are, PUFA is definitely bad. Mm-hmm. It's causing all of these things. 
And the group, because they have like several groups of like uh, obviously with animals testing different oils, they're saying the group that actually um, um, the group that actually was on coconut oil did the best, and and they never. Uh, you know, they never uh, miss a chance to mention that all of the members of the actual study, the study authors, have switched completely over to eating coconut oil or olive oil. But they're saying, like, we're done with uh, with, with the puffa. Said nobody should be eating puffa. Uh, I think they actually say, if soybean, uh, one of the, hey, there we go. If there is one mission, there's one message I want people to take away, it's this reduce consumption of soybean oil. Um, it's not just soybean oil. In the previous studies, they actually tested canola oil rapeseed oil, I think cottonseed oil as well. They found the exact same things and they said, still kept repeating, it's not the puffo, but it's some unknown factor. Well, then why are you advising people to stop eating soybean oil? Then say, eat soybean oil without that factor, right? <laughs> so I, I suspect they're, they're either being told like you can't directly bash puffo, right? Um, or there's something else going on. I mean, they, they maybe they're believers that... It, they refuse to believe that something as benign and widespread as polyunsaturated fats can be responsible for all of these terrible conditions that they're seeing. Um, you know, uh, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, mental disorders, right? I mean, believe it or not, they're able to test things like anxiety and depression in animals. Uh, they're able to establish tests. Um, uh, uh, neurological disease, Parkinson disease, all of these things. They're saying puffy is ubiquitous in not ubiquitous, but like it's it's omnipotent in causing any one of these conditions. <laughs> um, and they never again, they never miss a chance to say, look, our entire group has stopped eating puffer, and now we're all on butter and coconut oil. Uh, yet they refuse to condemn the actual uh, uh, polyunsaturated fats in the oils. They still keep looking for that unknown, mysterious factor that is present somehow only in those oils, <laughs> and that's responsible for causing these diseases. So, but I'll take it, you know. I mean, I don't know of any other group, official, publicly, like government-funded scientists in the in the Western world that are so bravely coming out there and saying, um, you know, we we condemn eating the puffer, even though we don't think it's the actual... Puffy is the actual bad thing, but you shouldn't eat it. You should eat the saturated fats. So maybe you send them an email with just one word, cardiolipin. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I can do that. But um, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if their official email accounts at the university go through a screening department. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a, at this point, I think most people, just like uh, the Twitter accounts, many people think that if they respond to a tweet by, let's say, Barack Obama or like uh, some, some you know, high-ranking politician, and then a politician response is the politician responding. Very rarely that is the case. It's they have a, clearly they have an entire PR team that's responsible for handling that account. And I think the same thing is starting to happen in the universities as well, because clearly if like a well-known scientist gets on the record and basically sends somebody an email says, oh yeah, just between the two of us, uh, I, I think it's poofo, you shouldn't be eating it, right? And then it turns out the university is getting like, I don't know, $100 million from Monsanto, one of the biggest producers of pesticides and also, I think, the um, of mazola oil. Clearly, that is not going to sit very, very well with the sponsor. So, again, I mean, if I can email them, but so far my experience with, with high-profile scientists is that they either never respond or if they do, they first go through a barrage of questions like, who are you? Who is your sponsor? Like, who do you work for? Who is your advisor? <laughs> uh, who can vouch for you? Just for a simple question, like for example, in your study you said you said X, Y, and Z. Can you? Uh, what do you think about this other study that says you know A, B, and C? They will not answer that. They will actually try to vet you first, as if 
asking a question was only permissible from certain people. Uh, kind of off topic, but, but did you hear the interview with Ray and Kate Shanahan and um, uh, all those people? It's like a roundtable discussion on obesity. They were actual doctors, right? I mean, I saw that it was posted, but I haven't, I haven't listened to it. What happened? It, <laughs> I want to talk about. I talk with him about it uh, when he comes on. It's it's kind of funny, but it's like a it's like minus one person. It's really good. And it's 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 a good except that lady that kept yeah. she was a doctor and she kept basically trying to attack him right no and she's just like uh everybody is flowing and she's not flowing <laughs> so it's just uh she I think she, she needs a large dose of LSD or something <laughs> Danny don't do that because they'll accuse you of being a misogynist you know they uh well, they, anybody that's the defense these days any man or woman that acted kind of with her rigid behavior probably needs a large dose of LSD okay so. How about anybody these days needs a large dose of LSD still coping and surviving? True. Oh, speaking of, okay, so stress cortisol makes even altruistic people selfish. Oh, yeah. Uh, another great study. And uh, basically, they they kind of like messed it up a little bit because they said it, this effect is only seen in altruistic people. But I thought, well, look, if a person is already selfish, if a person is already a psychopath, <laughs> first of all, their cortisol is probably already pretty high. So you, you'll be... It'll be very difficult for you to raise it even further, right? And also, if cortisol has been, if their cortisol has been high for a while, their serotonin has been high for a while. I mean, their brain is already at the point where basically, so a psychopath is a is a much worse condition than simply being somebody who has become selfish. Used to be altruistic and then they became selfish. Somebody who is already at the psychopathic level, yeah. If you raise their cortisol more, if you even achieve raising it, which I highly doubt, you're not going to see much of an effect. Because, but And they didn't compare the two groups. They just compared change from baseline, right? So for the selfish people, yeah, there wasn't any change from baseline because they're already 100% selfish. What, how, what, what more can you get, right? Uh, but still, the, I think the shocking part of the study and that basically was a drastic decline in the altruism of the altruistic people uh, by simply being exposed to a relatively uh, minorly stressful situation. Uh, I wouldn't even call it that stressful. I forgot what it was like. They were shown like some disturbing images. Not this. They were they were put in a situation where basically they described it as mildly stressful. Um, and to me, that's um, you know, I mean, imagine what happens if somebody is made to you know fight for their survival, just like as we're now, or like think of like uh, all the bad things that can happen on a daily basis, and that they have to spend their limited resources and most of their waking hours thinking about survival. Then it's little. It's a little surprised that we're that uh, Ray said that we're becoming more psychopathic. That's probably why we we've been under constant stress, and ultimately it takes its toll on people. And um, you know we're we're turning into these uh, selfish, self-centered. Hopefully not yet psychopathic people, but but we are on our way. So be aware that stress not only kills, it turns into an absolute asshole towards the people around you, and the same thing happens to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah. self-evident, obviously. But uh, did you ever? Uh, I'm reading the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, and I did do a little bit of investigation on this region of the brain, and it seemed especially sensitive to stress. Have you ever come across anything like that? I I don't know of a region of the brain that is not sensitive yeah, to stress, yeah. except possibly the amygdala, mm -hmm. but only because it's like relatively isolated. It's very deep in the brain. Um, and basically, it's not as exposed to the effects of cortisol. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but anything like the prefrontal cortex, the hypothalamus, obviously, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. producing the CRH, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually, ironically, it's it's actually sensitive to the CRH it produces. CRH is highly inflammatory and now is recognized as an actual cause 
of several neurological diseases, including multiple sclerosis. So um, I think the brain, just like any other soft, actually not just soft, there's, I don't think there's any tissue that cortisol doesn't wreck as long as it can turn it, I mean, it can be used to convert into glucose and or somehow other metabolize into energy because the brain is mostly fat, but it does have some amino, some amino acids. I don't think anything is immune to the effects of cortisol, uh, no matter, except possibly like the very inner regions of the brain, which are responsible for keeping you alive, uh, the brainstem and the amygdala. But even those, I mean, eventually... I think those are the only ones that remain functioning. That's probably the definition of that, that study that, uh, if you remember, with the locusts, yeah. the grasshoppers became locusts. Uh, I would like to see them examining the changes in the brain, structural changes in the brain, um, as a result of that elevated serotonin that they found. If serotonin is high, cortisol is high as well, just as I mentioned. Uh, serotonin is one of the primary activators of the fight-or-flight response. So um, not just the dorsal lateral, you said? Um, it's any region of the brain in the outer layer of the brain is vulnerable to cortisol. Um, so uh, I wouldn't be, I mean, there are already studies of de depression driven by cortisol, anti-cortisol drugs are powerful antidepressants. Uh, and I think that is basically attacks, it's, it's considered to be mostly driven by the atrophy of the prefrontal cortex. Um, the this callous, unemotional, uh, unemotional state that psychopaths and autistic people tend to be in, um, I think that's driven by damages to the amygdala um, and and the um, cerebellum. Um, so obviously, those are also vulnerable to cortisol. So yeah, my verdict is this: forget about specific areas; they're all vulnerable to cortisol. But just like the adrenal layer, there are multiple layers of the brain, and the inner one most, the one that are innermost are the ones that are vital for your survival, right? Uh, but even they, even they will probably disappear if cortisol continues to be uh, um, uh, to to be to allow uh, to to run unopposed. Um, and there are studies, there are actually imaging studies of people who have been under tremendous stress, and they show drastic shrinkage of the volume of the brain. So you are literally eventually running on empty, just like the adrenal gland. The only thing that remains at the very end before the adrenal gland uh, fails fully, and you get Addison disease and die because it's invariably lethal unless you get cortisol. Is basically the outer layer which produces only cortisol. Same thing happens to the brain when the cortisol basically keeps destroying the brain through years of unopposed activity. Eventually, you're down only to the amygdala and the brainstem, and the only thing that these things can do is turn you into a zombie. Maybe these all these zombie movies are not entirely like <laughs> <laughs> off script. They seem to be <laughs> seem to be based on something. Well, I, I I'm afraid to think of what they you know. There are probably labs that have done these. Um, you know, experiments on people in third world countries run by the CAA. But, uh, you know, that this, uh, what was that uh, section on Reddit? Uh, suspiciously, uh, no, suspiciously specific. Uh, okay. Like when you, when you have the, like the, the script of the movie uh, start to match life so well, <laughs> it's probably not a coincidence. <laughs> well, I, well, I just watched this. This was like, a, so this is 1995. So I was 10 years old when this movie came out. And I, I rewatched it and I was like shocked how, this is uh, uh, predictive programming, or what's it called? Like, um, so the there's a word for it. Anyways, which uh, movie is that? This is called Outbreak, and it was oh uh, yeah, 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 it was basically with the virus, the monkey. Yeah, there's like nothing different from the response with COVID than than what happened in this movie. But uh, minus the, the 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 dropping that bomb, the thermal barrack uh, bomb on the village, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. We, we'll probably see that in the near future. Yeah, <laughs> but it was just crazy because this has been uh, like incepted in the brains of people for such a long time. Like this is, I think they, I, I don't want to speak out of turn here. They use like fr phrases that like that were used in COVID, like 
separating each other and things like that. And anyway. there was, there's a most recent movie that's actually even more accurate because it was about it was with Matt Damon and Cont- Gwyneth Paltrow. Contagion. Uh, what was it called? Contagion. Contagion. Yeah. That one actually is even more scarier because I think it, it, the virus originated in China mm-hmm. and it was it basically came from a bat or a, a bat bit a pig and then the pig was eaten and that's what basically started infecting people. The, the funniest thing is I think, um, I can't remember this actor's name, but he's like a conspiracy theorist and at the end of the movie he goes to jail. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> this this character in the film, um, oh my god, oh, in the contagion. Yeah, but he's like he's like an Alex Jones like type of person, and at the end of the movie, he goes to jail. <laughs> oh, Jude Law is his name. Uh, oh, Jude Law. Yeah, okay. pretty yeah. funny. Okay, uh, let's do one more here, and then we'll call it a day. Um, do you endotoxin or stem cells? Uh, let's. I mean, I would say these are pretty obvious at this point, right? I wanted something, something else that's like okay, more okay. surprising. Uh, okay, let's you go tell, back you tell to me. the list and see. Oh, the vitamin D two and D three. I mean, I, I wanna, I wanna wake up the evil spirits because <laughs> I know that will rile people up. <laughs> Wasn't there some discussion about D two being the recommended, like the group that that opposes us said that basically if you supplement with anything, it shouldn't be D three, should be D two. Is that if that's true? I I didn't know that. Okay. Well, anyways, this this thing basically says that if not the, even if that is not true, the the fact that your doctor actually is only authorized to prescribe you D two because it's the only form that's approved for oral therapy. You go to a doctor, you, you, you get diagnosed with low vitamin D. Uh, the doctor will say, okay, I'll prescribe you vitamin D, and they gives you a prescription for vitamin D two, uh, usually at the dosage of fifty thousand unit once weekly. Okay, but this. Study now says that these the vitamin D2 and D3, they basically do not have the same effect on the immune system. And one of the primary reasons in many of the studies, if not, if not most of the studies coming out lately, in regards to vitamin D3 are in regards to its immune-boosting effects. And specifically, <laughs> maybe I, sh- I shouldn't say it, but I will say it, uh, helping with COVID-19, making it, you know, preventing its occurrence, uh, it, preventing the actual infection, um, in infected people, making it milder, and in people that end up in the hospital preventing complications and death. M- multiple studies on that, right? And then invariably, the mechanism of action proposed is that vitamin D basically um, activates the T-cells, or, or at least helps you produce more. Um, one way or, or another, this study says basically that vitamin D2 does not have this effect, but only D3 does. So basically, um, they're saying for immune uh, system boosting purposes, one should not be using D2 because it's completely ineffective. I'm just going to skate by that one real fast. <laughs> Thanks for that, Georgie. Uh, okay, is there any other one that you really wanted to talk about? Let's see. Uh, Veg- vegetables, vegetables. Uh, master, lactic acid, Alzheimer's, eating meat, exercise bad for dental, uh, aspirin, uh, emphysema, um, epilepsy, energetic calcium overload. Let's do the, uh, can you scroll up? Yeah. Let's do the lactate. Okay. Um, oh, here we go. Okay. Yes. So just 48 hours of exposure to slightly elevated lactate levels was basically enough to trigger changes um, into into the into the whole apparatus of the cell, which is something that I think even uh, as far back as uh, Otto Warburg used to say that basically if the cell... Uh, 
determined, senses that the energy it produces is not sufficient, it will start to dismantle, it sort of cannibalize itself, or at least dismantle the apparatus that it doesn't need, which is the oxygen phosphorylation apparatus. And this study said, is demonstrated that some of these changes are basically visible after only 48 hours of exposure to elevated lactate. And it wasn't even to the point of what doctors would diagnose as lactic acidemia. Uh, or lactic acidosis. It was something that you would see as in like you ran, I don't know, you went for like a decently long run, not a marathon, let's say five or six miles. That's the level of lactate that you get when you when you run that distance. And that's the level of lactate that all, uh, if maintained for 48 hours, it was enough to start causing pathological changes. But guess what? This kind of lactate that you get after running, so young people can get away with it because their liver is actually really good at processing lactate and turning into glucose, mm -hmm. and then that gets metabolized. Mm -hmm. As you age, or as your thyroid function declines, that elevated lactate you're getting from any kind of exertion doesn't go away easily. It basically st sticks around in your cells, um, and basically can stay there for as long as a week, or even even 10 days. In fact, it's one of the one of the good measurements of how good your systemic health is. If you remember the methylene blue test, which is basically capable of oxidizing lactate back into pyruvate, and, and basically, since lactate is a reductant, one of the one of the good tests of your systemic health is what dosage of methylene blue do you need in order to start peeing blue? Mm -hmm. And the higher that dosage is before you start peeing blue, the more reduced your overall redox state is. In other words, the more the more this methylene blue gets used, because the methylene blue when it gets reduced, it becomes colorless, right? So if you're in a really good oxidized state. You drink that blue methylene blue, right? And if it's not needed, if it's not used, you'll pee out most of it, right? But if you're in a really reduced state, if you have a lot of lactate or other reducing metabolites um, with a lot of sulfhydro groups, then basically this methylene blue will get quickly used up and you'll be peeing it out in its colorless form and your urine will not turn blue. Uh, well, I mean, this has been noticed that in people um, with advancing age, their lactate can the lactate can stay elevated for many many days in a row, and the studies show that even 48 hours is sufficient to already put you on the you know on the track of chronic disease such as diabetes and obesity and in general chronic inflammatory state. Um, and they even say that at this point lactate is starting to get, get recognized, just like carbon dioxide. Maybe lactate will get that crown first, but basically medicine has used to say that there's nothing about lactate and carbon dioxide excited that, that deserves studying. There are nothing but metabolic waste products. And I think medicine still maintains that about carbon dioxide, but lactate at this point is starting to rec get recognized as a major cause of diseases. And I think they have it over there underlined and bolded and colored in red that the actual authors of the study are, are agreeing with that statement and they're making it themselves and they're doctors. Um, so, um, um, you know, they kind of they already say lactate could be a master regulator of carcinoma, right? Of carcinogenesis, but it's not just it's not just cancer. For earlier up in the study, they say that it's heart failure, lung failure, kidney failure, all of the these degenerative changes seen with with the diabetes, um, with basically um, uh, you know disease of the gastrointestinal tract, such as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, steatohepatitis, even cirrhosis. All of these things can uh, have have their beginning states that look like something that lactate can produce in just 48 hours. What did Ray say when we asked him about like the, what was the optimal blood level? Didn't he say like under one or, or does that ring a bell? 
Yeah, and he said that that it's that it's uh, you can actually diagnose cancer in people, and it, he's right. Um, the vast majority of cancer patients that are in really bad state, mm-hmm. they arrive at the hospital in in something called type B lactic acidosis. Um, and uh, and by the way, uh, I would say a good forty percent of the cancer patients that are in in you know if the cancer is really uh, you know not in remission but active and and acting up. They actually die from that lactic acidosis. It has a forty percent mortality rate, if even if treated. Um, so, and he said it could be a, used as a good test to diagnose if somebody has a really large or extremely aggressive tumor, because they'll be, you know, they'll be they'll have a very very high level of lactate in the blood, way higher than a diabetic. But he said that extreme forms of diabetes, especially type one, they can actually approach the levels of uh, lactate seen in uh, advanced cancer patients. Great stuff. Okay. Uh, f- uh, outro. What, what are your thoughts? What are you thinking? <laughs> Not much. I want to talk to Ray. <laughs> Survive for another two weeks, and then we'll see what happens afterwards. Yeah, yeah It'll be yeah. really interesting to see what happens after the, the war in Ukraine winds down, because the news that I'm hearing uh, from unofficial channels is that essentially the uh, – the days of the dollar's dominance are over, mm-hmm. um, and there's no there's no telling how this will play out. This is why I think that the elite is really not in control because they still depend on the dollar, right? And and, uh, and until the digital currency is in place, which I'm not, I mean, they they just passed a law instructing the Treasury Department to look into creating a digital currency, unless they're planning of sort of co-opting one of the existing ones, such as Bitcoin, which would confirm many conspiracy theories, I, I, they're, they're, right? The Ripple, like the World oh, the Econo- Ripple, yes. World Economic Forum, specifically mentions XRP in some of their documents. So yeah, Ripple could be one of them. They can just say, going forward, this is the only currency that we allow, right, mm-hmm. uh, for for official transactions. Um, so uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. But basically, the the if the days of the dollar's dominance are over, then we'll probably see hyperinflation, true hyperinflation mm-hmm. in the U.S. before the end of the year. So, I mean, uh, just to speculate, what do you think the story will be of 2022? The story of 2022? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Towards the end of 2022, if we don't have World War III, I would say basically the uh, the demise of the dollar or like uh, civil unrest in the United States. Mm-hmm. Or actually not just in the United States, in most uh, civil unrest in one or more of the highly developed countries – um, either due to shortages, which they'll blame on the war in Ukraine, right? Or due to some kind of a currency collapse. It doesn't have to be the dollar. I think the dollar, I mean, the the, the financial shenanigans that the the empire players can can uh, can uh, perform, they, they will probably throw some other currencies under the bus before the dollar collapses. But, you know, it's because the Western world, and in general, the world is still so interlinked, if the British pound collapses or if the French franc collapses or if the euro collapses, that still is sufficient to cause a uh, large scale uh, civil unrest in a developed country, which will probably spread to to other areas of the Western world. So I think that will be the the all the all three of them are interconnected. I don't think one can happen without the other. Which one will happen first is to me is the real question. So some kind of a collapse of or significant degradation of the of the lifestyle or life or of the civilizational levels of the western world um and i, I don't think that digital currency adoption will prevent that in in you were prescient and you called the the war uh when, when do you remember when, the, when that was maybe like early late 2021 or 
early uh, yeah, something like that. I just thought that they were running out of options. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, once I start seeing that the restrictions are some started getting somehow suspiciously quickly lifted mm-hmm. and removed and backtracked on mm-hmm. things that I thought basically like were already done deal. I mean, the Austrians, the one third of Austrians, the twenty actually one fifth, mm-hmm. uh, and one fifth of Germans that remained unjabbed. They didn't have that many options. I mm-hmm. mean, it was the, it was almost game over for them. And suddenly everything started getting removed. Mm-hmm. And I personally thought that the reason this the war was started was that the great some of the technologies underpinning the Great Reset, specifically the artificial intelligence, I personally think they're it's a bust. I don't think they the the elite was not smart enough to realize that through artificial general intelligence on a digital computer is impossible. In fact, there is a mathematical proof for it. <laughs> ironically done in the 1950s by a Russian <laughs> but of course we don't trust those Ruskies so why would we take anything that you know these these people did it was probably some kind of a subversion effort <laughs> to get us to believe something something fake something false anyways um, so if but the Ford Industrial Revolution is almost entirely dependent on the assumption that artificial intelligence will take over right and most of the plebs will be unneeded hence the culling and everything else if they have kind of got on their eyes open that the artificial general artificial intelligence is not happening anytime soon or at least not on a digital computer then may have that they may have said oh my god we still need the slaves we better stop killing them um, and then everything all of the damage that was done so far right so you can't just undo it what's what's the other option you can blame it on something else right can do another another virus because obviously this is uh, it's kind of like you. I mean, your 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 bluff has already been called, or at least people are already aware that this is collapsing. Mm-hmm. So the only other option is war. I mean, it wasn't really calling. It's like, what else would you do? That you can blame all the destruction done so far. What else can you do other than war? Um, I didn't expect it would be Russia. I thought it would be like in the Middle East, they'll start a war with Iran, or like maybe like a skirmish. Or, I mean, maybe like foment another Arab Spring event. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, Lebanon earlier in the in the podcast, um, there's there's a real big issue there with food and and financial resources and electricity. So I thought that's their default region. <laughs> if if the United States or Western Europe wants to make itself look good to its citizens or at least show them how much better they they have it than the rest of the population over the last 20 years, hasn't hasn't it been the Middle East? Basically, you want to start a war, you started there. It's the one region that basically. Almost no other of the world powers would really like have anything against you starting a war there. Mm-hmm. With that, and Darth Georgie, we'll get out of here. Uh, so <laughs> let me just go over the schedule one last time here. Okay, so me me on the fifteenth for Q and A, twenty eighth bioenergetic bio- helpline, and then Georgie Ray and I back on the 29th. And guys, thank you so much. Uh, I was excited we took the month off because I kind of felt burned out, but I'm excited to be back and miss these and thank you so much georgie for being my partner in crime and uh with that i'll we'll get out of here thank you again georgie uh, always a pleasure and thank you to our amazing audience for listening to the show uh see you guys all soon have a great weekend peace out